when you are part of something bigger than yourself, you have so much more ability to do something epic. That's, that's what I learned from our team and from our coaching staff and the players. That's Jim Craig, of course, goalie of the 1980 U.S. men's ice hockey team in the Olympics Lake Placid, and of course, hero of Miracle on Ice when the U.S. beat Russia 4-3 in the Olympics, the most famous sporting event in American history. On the pod, we talk about his new book, We Win, Lessons on Life, Business, and Building Your Own Miracle. That book's coming out now with the 40th anniversary ahead, February 22. We journey back to 1980 in the conversation and examine fans of the team and the sport. Some funny stories along the way with his teammates. We talk a lot about his coach, Herb Brooks, how he developed Jim and his teammates into being leaders, being fearless, and his ability to drive change. I have always enjoyed my time with Jim. He's first class, consistently asks about me, my family, and health, and it's no wonder why he continues to be an on-demand motivational speaker and business partner to many. And if you've never had a chance to spend time with Jim, if you ever get a chance, take advantage of it. Do you believe in miracles? As you think of the American fan uh, in 1980, especially the sport of hockey, it, it, you, you had the hard diehard fans that were hockey fans with, uh, who knew a lot about who we were playing against with really no expectations. And then you had the Olympic fans, so when Olympic time comes, everybody kind of gets excited. But uh, no real expectations for ourselves or our team, and you know, very little uh, fanfare going into the games. Hmm. And and so then it builds, obviously, every day as the tournament extends. But it's it's not 2020. I mean. Twitter isn't telling everybody what's going on. They're, they're waking up the next day and, and reading the paper or they're watching the broadcast at night. Did, did you feel the energy? Could you sense that? Or are you just in such a, a moment and a location in Lake Placid? Well, you know what's really interesting? Uh, about eight of us played in the World Championships in 1979 in Leningrad, Moscow. And... Uh, all of us who played there really got an eye-opening of, of what the Cold War was. Uh, we landed from JFK into Moscow. They picked us up on the Tarmanac, uh on a bus with machine guns. Mm. Uh, it, it was the height of the Cold War. We're going to the rink, and you're going by these lakes, and in the middle of them are, are fences. And one side's communism, one side's not. So you... You really got a feel for the difference between being an American with democracy and uh, being a communist and and uh, and dealing with communism. And, and so, as the games went on, the the fact that our team and um, or all my teammates were weren't even sure whether we were going to be able to participate in the Winter Olympics because Carter had already boycotted the summer ones. So we weren't sure if the Russians were even going to come to uh, Lake Placid. So there, there was a lot of political turmoil goes on. And with that becomes an, an awful lot of pride. So as the Olympic Games started and Lake Placid became the venue, so did the excitement and um, our team really became the poster child of uh, what it was like to, to be an American and be an underdog. 
And stay with the word, the fan. Think of a fan in 1980 to a, a fan now in 2020, which now you're, you're a fan, I'm sure, of, of many sports and different things. What, what's the difference between a fan? Is there a difference or just there's way more ways to interact and engage positively and negatively? The fan back then um, was a fan of the moment. Mm. Uh, and the fan today is it's 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 much more you know the individual player has its own platform has his own twitter has his own facebook has his own instagram has everything that is promoting himself or herself uh as a brand uh, when we played, there was none of that. Uh, you didn't have to worry about it. You didn't. You didn't have to really do anything about it. Our biggest challenge was not to provide billboard material by saying something, and um, so the the fan itself was pure uh, back in 1980 than it is today. And and because the sports have changed, David the. Uh, it, all sports have become entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, in our day, a sport was a passion. You know, it's a sport that you had a passion about. And the Olympics happened to encompass all sports that were Olympic sports. And so your fan base changed from the everyday hockey fan to the Olympic fan which now, even if you weren't a hockey uh, fan, because it was in the Olympics, you were now became a hockey fan. What, what would Coach Herb, Herb Brooks say about Twitter and individuals using social media to build their own brands back in 1980? Well, you know, it's funny is I think he probably knew that day was coming because <laughs> 40 years ago, he made sure, you know, today, the athlete of today is coached on how to talk to the media, when to talk to media. They actually have courses and, and the players, whether it's a, a female athlete or a male athlete, they're, they're preparing them to handle the media. Her Brooks was smart enough back then that he was the one that handled the media. So, uh, I I know I know he knows the danger of an individual promoting a brand versus being part of a team, and so I don't think he would have been a fan of this at all. <laughs> and you talk about him a lot in, in your book, upcoming We Win. But but I've heard you. I mean, for the last several decades. I mean, 40 years, you're often brought on by Fortune 100 companies as well as colleges and small businesses to talk about motivation and leadership and by the way you do a heck of a job but you you all you talk about herb quite a bit and the journey and how important he was in developing you as a leader but also the team so besides herb's interest or lack thereof of social handles share a little bit about herb brooks well what herb brooks had the ability to do is drive change so when you think about that, David, and one of the things I really try to bring in the book is there are people who embrace change, people who accept change, people who don't accept change, but they're all following someone else who drove it. Mm. And so the biggest part about Herb Brooks is he had a vision on 
how to win. And in all the corporate talks that I do, or whether it's to young kids, is I always tell people there are people who prepare to compete and people who prepare to win. And Herb Brooks realized that the way the USA Hockey Program and the Olympic Committee prepared was not to win, but just to compete. And he took it upon himself and the people he recruited from not only the players, but the coaches and the trainers to have people that wanted to be on that world stage, but not only be on the world stage, weren't afraid to prepare to com- to win. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and when you have that type of courage and that type of vision, it's really interesting. So what I admired most about Herb was he had played in two Olympics. He had competed against the best players in the world. He realized the best players in the world did not play in the National Hockey League. In the book, I tell about uh, Tarasov and how the Russian government basically charged him in creating the greatest hockey team to promote communism. And he came over to the United States and watched the National Hockey League play. And he says, I I, I don't want to play like that. They dump the puck, they chase it. And so he went back to Russia. Two years later, he came back and he watched the National Basketball Association. (laughs) And he said, I want to play like that. It's a a movement. Everybody's fluid. You know, it's about ball possession. We can do that with puck possession. But then as he's going back to Russia to implement this, he goes by the Russian ballet and he sees these incredible dancers, men and women that are so powerful that he then goes into the ballet and and starts to incorporate some of their exercises and hence the overspeed training <laughs> well there was a guy that was the father of russian hockey and then her brooks years later says you know I, I i know a better way to do it we, we can't do what we did and so he drove change and the players and myself on our team were his vehicle to to drive change and you know, what he did was revolutionary and exciting. And, you know, people thought he was crazy, but he definitely knew what he was doing. How long did it take you and your teammates to realize he wasn't crazy and he knew what he was doing? Did you believe it from the beginning? Well, it was really interesting because as a as a coach and a goalie, you're kind of the same. <laughs> uh, a goalie is a coach on the ice. And your goal is how can you get your players in front of you to play the absolute best and how do you trust them so that your game can be better? And so I remember Herb, the very first uh, trip we went on when we, we picked the Olympic team, he came up to me and said, Jimmy, you're going to have to play really well in our first 15 games for these guys to believe in this new system. So I'm really counting on you. So he was really great at empowering and giving you this permission to, uh, to succeed and while you failed at the same time. And so I just saw this, this confidence of a man who, you know, uh, David, a lot of coaches are great at preparation. Some coaches are really great tacticians. Very few of them are great at both. And Herb Brooks had this great feel for not only each player, but each situation. And uh, so it was very easy for me to see what he was doing and, and really embrace it. Mm. And, the, and the title of the book, We Win, sounds 
uh, a, a theme of what, you know, how you live your life now and what you share to business communities, but also back to 1980 and your team. So it ends, the, the unbelievable event ends, the miracle ends, you've won the gold medal, which I want to get to in a second because the round robin story of who you competed against, I think is little known to the public who they just think you played a semis and a finals and that's not true. But how much of we win did you take that message leaving 1980 that has kept you moving forward the last 40 years? Well, it's really, it's really kind of interesting is when you uh, can be part of something where you don't have to take the credit, it's amazing what you can accomplish. Mm. <laughs> and what I learned from our coach and all these great players who all had to reinvent themselves and all had used to winning is that if you can focus on what the objective is, which is winning, and you can know your job and do your job, and then it truly is we win. And if anybody who is a real enthusiast wants to watch the last 10 minutes of our game against Russia, you'll see that Herb Brooks trusted his players so much that all four lines went out one right after the other. And uh, the Russians shortened their bench. And so if, if you're going to win, and, 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 the, and the reason I love the title we win is because, you know, I said it's lessons on life, business, and building your own miracle team. It's, it's because... When you are part of something bigger than yourself, you are have so much more ability to do something epic, and um, that's that's what I learned from our team and from our coaching staff and the players. So go back to that Ron Robin because I, I, it took me a while to figure this out. And Jim, tell me if I'm I'm saying this correctly. F- forever, I mean, there are many Americans that think that thought you beat Russia, you win the gold. Obviously, that's not the case. You beat Russia, then you play Finland in the next match. But the way it worked back in 1980, the top two teams came out of your draw and the top two came out of the other draw. And you actually had to play everybody in a round robin. But instead of playing Sweden, who came out of your draw, they just counted whatever the score was in your prelim match against them. And that's the score they counted in the kind of finals round robin. Is that, am I saying that right? Well, I, the biggest part about this is you not only did you have to win the game, but they went by how many goals you scored and how many goals you gave up. And so uh, by the time we had played in our division, the top two teams in the red division was the Russians and the um, the Finns. And, and so we... We beat the Russians, but if if we lose against the Finns, there was a good chance that we might have not even won a medal because right. they still added up all the goals, four goals against, and you know, so it it was a crazy system back then. I think now it's much more user friendly because they have the professional athletes coming in and they want to make sure that the right two teams are playing at the end or at least have a chance to. So much different than when we played. Yeah, and over over the years. Years. Who who else have you looked up to besides Herb Brooks or or enjoyed from a a goalie or a coach or other business leaders athletes that you, you just you appreciate how they um, 
carry themselves maybe on the field, on the court, on, at the rink, but also in business or um, publicly? Well, you know, in my life, I've been so fortunate uh, to have so many mentors. My my first mentors were uh, Dan Pratt and Paul Haley. And, you know, mentors believe in you and they give you an opportunity. And I think the biggest mistake most people make is they confuse their own personal sacrifices with opportunities that others provide them. And in my life, I was lucky enough to have people provide me opportunities. And it was through their personal sacrifices that I was able to get to where I eventually ended. And so when you look at athletes, the part that I admire is if you look at an athlete that leaves before people want them to, and then he or she creates and, and reinvents themselves, that's, that's what's really impressive. You know, uh, if you look at, because it's now uh, relevant, is you look at uh, Gronkowski of the Patriots, uh, Gronk, you know, he could have played longer, but he didn't. It doesn't mean he won't miss it and, and end up going back, but some athletes uh, don't know when to get out. And what I admire most is when an athlete gets out of the game. You know, I think of the running back, Barry Sanders. Now, who wanted him to stop playing? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, but he did. And he went on and he went, he went on with his career and his life. And, you know, so for me in business, I admire people who realize that you get more by giving than you do by taking. And they, they just become tremendous role models and mentors. <laughs> When you, when you just wrote this book, We Win, what did you learn about yourself? What did you learn in the journey of writing the book? Well, this book is through my eyes, you know, so it's kind of unique because as a goalie, everything comes at you and goes <laughs> away. And what I learned was, um, you know, in the movie Miracle, they always say, you always hear Herb Brooks say, I'm not looking for the best players, I'm looking for the right players. Yep. It took me about 10 years, but I figured that out. Mm-hmm. And the right players are the ones you can coach. And and it's important that when you recruit and you develop people, they, they have to want to be helped and they want to help be developed. And so what I, and I learned it's um, if you're willing to put yourself out there and, and provide people opportunities, all you can really hope for is they'll take advantage of them. And I was very fortunate that people created an awful lot of personal sacrifice for me and gave me these opportunities. And over the years, what I realized that it, 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 you can't confuse being busy with being productive. And um, in this book, it's really a, um, it's a, a great story about not only when I started as a young kid, but about dreams and why dreams are so important and then how you have to tell people what your dreams are. And I, re- I realized through writing this book that how, how important community was for me and where I grew up and, and the people within the community that supported me. And then it starts with your hometown, which becomes your community. And then you go off to a college and it becomes that college becomes your, your, your community. And then you have your work, your family. But at the end of the day, it's all these people that you share time with that care about you and help keep you grounded and, and on the right path. And I know you you quote often from Thoreau, the hard work is its own reward. Why? 
Well, you know, I always tell people, uh, you know, there's a saying that's even a little simpler. I go, hard work will beat talent that refuses to work hard, <laughs> right? And, and really, there's no substitute for it. If you if you want to achieve something, you have to do it with the right honor and the right respect and ethics. And nobody can take it away when you do it the right way. And that's why I truly believe that hard work is the key to it. And getting permission to fail, you know, I mean, too, too many, you know, I always tell people one of my favorite quotes is failure isn't fatal, but being afraid to is. And, um, too many people play not to lose and, and don't play to win. And the only way you're going to learn is through the mistakes and failures that you've had in your lifetime. And then if you're really a good mentor, you prevent people from making those same mistakes that you made. You don't help them after they make them. You help them by preventing them from doing the same mistakes that you made. Now you're going you're gonna to be together with your teammates here in Las Vegas as we uh, close in on the 40th anniversary. Tell me uh, a story that is going to be repeated over and over amongst the guys, maybe over a beer or two, um, or one that uh, really the external world doesn't know about that experience in 1980 or the games itself that's uh, one that you cherish. I, well, Kenny Moore is one of my best friends on the team. And so Mark Wells is one of the smallest guys on the team. And Kenny was one of the tallest. <laughs> and, you know, the, one of the things I always loved about Herb Brooks is, um, you know, he had this rule that you couldn't have any facial hair. But if you look at Kenny Morrow, he had facial hair. And the reason was, as Herb said, is, well, he had a beard before he joined the team. You know, he didn't grow it when he was there. So what, what I always love is it was the ability that everybody's going to have a Herb Brooks story. But the story I have is that I love is we're taking a train from the bottom of Finland, all the way, you know, 24-hour ride to the top of Finland. And we're in these sleeper trains. And Mark Wells gets into the bunk area the quickest, so he grabs the bottom bunk. I grab the middle bunk. And poor Kenny gets the top bunk. And, and he keeps banging his head. And all we could think of were the Three Stooges where the guy Johnson keeps banging his head. So uh, Kenny Moore is playing with the Islanders. I'm playing with the Flames. I'm at the side of the bench, and Puck is coming to the uh, point where Kenny's at and I go to him, Johnson! And before you know, he lifts his head up and then, you know, he's cussing me all the way down the ice. But um, um, the, the stories that we'll have are 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 just the, the love that we shared for one another when nobody believes what we could do is possible but our teammates. Mm. And, and uh, that's great. I'm sure there'll be many more stories. Uh, the takeaway for people um, that are going to read your book or, or should read the book, um, and the, as you always talk about the team, you are a team with a dream. What's the, what's the one takeaway you want from your readers? I, I, I want them to think differently, you know, in that, um, you know, we've become a society that becomes so sophisticated we forget how to dream. And then people tell everybody how they can do something or why they can't do something. But a dream is about people and support. And so, uh, you know, uh, what I love about this is it, it, it 
the book is going to show you through my eyes how hard a journey it is to achieve your dreams and that it's not easy and that there's a lot of failure on the way. But if you surround yourself with the right people and you have the right attitude and you put the right amount of work behind it with a little bit of luck, you can, you can create these dreams, right? And, you know, in life, it's really, really fun to pursue, pursue a dream. And I think the biggest thing my, my parents were allowed me was just to have my dreams and to be supportive of them. Not telling me I could and not telling me I couldn't, but just to allowing me to, to have them. And, um, you need an architect of these dreams. And so I talk a lot about that. And, and so at the end of the day, they're going to be able to pursue their dreams. They're going to be able to learn how to win in, in all the different facets of their life. And they'll, they'll think differently by the time they're done. And that's The Bond. See you next week.